Another Way to Play, Episode 70. It's great to have these advanced strategies, but, you know, I would rather like people follow the simple stuff and then get the results that they want. This is Lane Kawoka, a real estate investor and the host of the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should go listen to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome back to Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is a fellow real estate investor, UW alumni, and uh, someone I'm really excited to bring on uh, for this conversation because, frankly, it's just simple, straightforward, and to the point. This is Lane Kawoka. He's based out of Hawaii now, but is an investor and owns over a thousand units and runs a podcast called Simple Passive Cashflow, as well as has a virtual uh, meetup group for high net worth professionals who want to invest in real estate. Uh, Lane and I have a, a pretty entertaining conversation, in my opinion, and we get into a couple different things um, about his story and about real estate investing in general, that if you're in the least bit interested uh, will definitely bring value to you in a big way. He has a couple of things that you want to listen up for, specifically the 70-20-10 rule. He's a big proponent of just doing it, getting out there, getting your hands dirty. So he says 70% of your uh, knowledge comes from doing it, 20% comes from mentors, and 10% of it comes from podcasts, books, and all of that kind of educational material. And so whether or not you're interested in real estate investing, he's got some very practical business advice, talks a little bit about how he started his investing career, how he built up his network, how he built up his investor pool, and gets into also what a couple of transition points around when he got to 11 single family properties, and then how he took that and leveraged it into some bigger properties. Uh, So... Before we get into that conversation, head down into the show notes. I've got all his information as well as uh, my Calendly link. I'd love to connect with you personally to get to know you, uh, learn a little bit more about you, how I can keep making the show better and uh, see how uh, we can just add value to one another. So go down to the show notes, look forward to connecting with you there in my Calendly link. And then if you're getting value out of this show or any of the other episodes that I bring on, please go over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review because it really helps me with a ton of feedback as well as helps the show keep growing and getting in front of more people. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring in Lane Kawoka. Total pleasure and honor to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Hans. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Well, we got into your bio just a little bit a few minutes ago definitely excited to get into what you're doing now, but let's back up before we get there, build a little bit of context and talk about where your journey first began. Yeah. So, um, it was pretty boring. I, uh, went to school, 
get a good job. Um, I did engineering and um, worked for a couple years. But uh, like a lot of people, I didn't really like my job. I was an engineer, uh, more on the civil engineering side. And I quickly realized that if I kept doing that for forever, I would be stuck at that said job for a really long time. Um, but still, like, there's a lot of bad financial advice, like buy your own primary residence to live in. And that's what I did. I saved up my money to go buy a home in Seattle. Um, but because I was working on the road all the time, I decided to rent it out. And for a young 20-something-year-old kid, um, that brought in 2200 a month. And the mortgage was 1600 And that was a lot of beer money mm-hmm. to me at the time. And then started to realize I need to keep doing this again and again and again. Get myself out of that rat race. That's awesome. It sounds like that first rental was more or less by accident. Uh, yeah, or, exactly. Or maybe by necessity. Exactly. I mean, I I just called up an old landlord. I mean, not, we've all had them, right? And I was like, well, you used to do this, take my checks. Can you take my checks from other people now and rent this thing out for me? That was how it was started. And, and you know, it all starts with like a question, right? If you're mm-hmm. curious, you start asking questions and, you know, there's Google today. You can Google anything. Absolutely. So you're in this engineering world. We kind of skimmed through a number of years there, but you end up in this place that puts you in a civil engineering job that you're not into. You bought this house. You thought, you know, you're probably crushing it at 21, 22 years old, you know, doing really well, buying a house in Seattle. And then you're on the road all the time. So you're renting it out. You're making cash flow. And that's your first foray into real estate investing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very linear path is what I call it. You know, like go to school, get a good job, work uh-huh. at that job, and then get a big house so you can impress all your friends because you got a house. Yeah. You know, once you get it, you start to realize it's kind of dumb, right? Like, what is this, <laughs> this house getting you? You know, it's not bringing you any money. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to rent because I don't want to throw money down the drain. Well, that's mm-hmm. complete garbage, in my opinion. I mean, you got to spend money for housing. I would rather rent and buy four or five houses with that down payment money. And mm-hmm. we'll see how that grows over the years. Yeah, man. I, As a lot of the listeners know, I'm, I'm in the very similar camp to you. I rent, but I buy properties out of state and and rent them out. We were just talking off air of a, of a tenant situation I'm in at the moment. I think I finally have it resolved, but um, I wholeheartedly agree with you. So, But it's hard. It's hard to find people like ourselves, right? Like, <laughs> like going into what I, you know, the issue that I was just talking about, I have a, a this tenant or no longer a tenant. Um, we just parted ways, but who just in less than a week, like turned my world upside down in that like whole toilet tenant and trash saying that people get freaked out. They don't want the 2am, you know, clogged toilet call or whatever. Like that was very real for me just now. And so that like, there's something to like managing places where people live and their weirdness and their issues and their complaints. That's part of this game. But to your point, like if I could take you know, 200 grand that I would otherwise spend on a single family down payment and then split that up into five properties or even a couple, even two or three properties, and then let those cash flow and appreciate like that uh, amount of money just turns into something so compelling when you put it on a, put it on a balance sheet like that. Right, right. But most people, they're not able to hold on to their money 
So it's it's actually probably good as a forced savings account, but agreed. Agreed. You're not, you're not like most people that are Hans. Well, thank <laughs> you. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And to you the same. So you got the first property. It's cash flowing. It's beer money. You're 21, 22. You're in Seattle. You're living the engineer life. And then you're like, oh, I got to do this again. Talk to us about that moment when you realized that was a, a direction you wanted to head and, and how that strategy started to work out for you. You know, I started to realize, you know, you don't buy properties in high price areas or primary markets such as California, Seattle, New York. You buy properties for cash flow. I bought another property in Seattle, probably in a little rougher area, but I bought it at the right time, right? This is all before 2012, 2013. You know, prices weren't as, as high. So they were sort of cash flowing at that point. But then I started to realize you could buy properties out in the Midwest, the South, right? Where people will live in $100,000 houses. That's actually pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> They're not used to paying $500 million for a starter home. So I think that for a lot of people, that's a culture shock. Yeah. But that's uh, how most completely. people in America live. But yeah, I mean, I think this is where the story gets really boring, right? Like this is not a get rich quick thing. You save up 30 grand to buy a house and you cash flow maybe a few hundred bucks and then you buy another. And the next year, if you're at that point, if you're able to save 30 grand a year, you're buying one every year. And then after a while, maybe you buy two every year. But this, you know, by the time 2014, 15 came around, I had 11. Um, But, you know, times $300 times 10 lemon properties is just... $3,000 a month, you know, a lot more than most people, but still I I can't quit my day job at that point. And so you had these 11 properties, you're buying one or two a year. They were cash flowing. It sounds like nicely, but it's also not necessarily scaling for you. Right, right. I mean, it was a great way to get my net worth from zero to half a million. And you hear in a lot of different facets, like getting even past the first $100,000 level, that's a feat mm-hmm. in itself. Totally. And I think the novice listening on the podcast would be like, all right, I'm just going to shortcut this and go right to the big stuff, right? But don't discredit all the things you learn, like, you know, the stuff you're kind of, we we're talking about earlier with that problem tenant. And, you know, you got to build up your net worth up to a certain level before you can start to take some cracks at the real game. Yeah, absolutely. And, so many different questions I have right now. So you sort of had these couple moments of transition. The first one was when you rented out your first house, then it sent you on this trajectory of buying single family homes. Fast forward a few years, you have 11, you're at 3K a month in cash flow. Your net worth is at half a million or so. And you know things are moving in a, in a certain direction that sort of indicates real estate investing, obviously. But you said you wasn't able to quit your day job on it. What was that next transition like for you? Yeah, I wasn't really thinking where I was going. I was just kind of focusing on where the pain was at that point. And Mm. I had property managers on all those properties, but still with that many rentals, you know, 11 of them, I had like an eviction or two a year, some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter, um, which was no problem, right? You just pass it off to the property manager, but you got to keep them accountable of the month, I'm going to have three times that amount of problems. And that was where I realized this was going to be a headache. 
And not to mention the fact that it's impossible to flex that equity in there. When I mean that, like most investors are unsophisticated where what they do, they buy a house and they never sell it. Right? They have all this equity built up and maybe mm-hmm. five, 10 years down the road, they're barely making anything based on how much deployable equity they have. The key is for investors to keep that return equity high, still keeping your cash flow um, at a healthy state. That's a really interesting thing. And I want to draw some attention to that because I think you're right. Most people would say like, oh, if I buy this thing now and I just keep tenants in it over 30 years on my note, you know, it'll get paid off and then I'll have this several hundred thousand dollar, half a million dollar house or asset or what duplex or whatever it is. But what people don't recognize, I think, and what, what you're trying to get at is that when you do have a paid off property, like, yeah, that's nice that you have all that equity, but the, but the return on that effective equity or the opportunity cost is so high that you're actually getting a pretty low return relative right. to what you could otherwise do. Right. I mean, look at the house that I live in now. Like I rent it. I mean, yeah. You tell me who's getting the better deal here, right? They own it outright a million dollars. Yeah. I pay um, $3,000 a month and whenever everything breaks, they pay for it. They pay for the taxes. So I'm guessing they only keep maybe about a grand of that, maybe a couple grand after all said and done. I mean, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 over a million dollars. What is that? One, 2% a year? Yeah. Yeah. You should go put that in the bond market. Yeah, or something. <laughs> exactly. Especially with all the liability and the headaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, you tell me who's getting the better deal, right? Like, yeah. The yeah. tenant of the landlord here. Um, but Which that's is, how most, most investors are, right? They buy and never sell. And, and that's, what's crazy about real estate. You can have a horrible strategy like that and you still like kind of win at the end. You're totally right. That is one of the, like the appreciation and the fact that, well, especially if you're strategic about where you buy and when to some degree, like the time component of holding real estate can forgive some bad judgment moments when you buy it. Right. right. Not always, it, but it can. But numbers don't lie. I quit my job last year. So my other buddy who used to do the same thing that I'm doing is still trying to pay off his first condo. Oh, wow. That's, that's incredible. Well, congratulations on getting to that point. That's a, that's a big one. So we sort of segued off of, of your story there, but I think it was a really good point. Like the, the equity that's in place relative to the cash flow. You want to make sure that that's at a very healthy amount. So what you're suggesting is to continue to leverage and to, you know, pull capital out to redeploy it so that you always have a mortgage on something, but it's enough that your cash flow returns are, are still hitting your marks, but that you're taking that equity that you've created through that rental and putting into what I'm assuming you're going to say is another rental. Right, right. I mean, so sophisticated investors, they don't pay attention to debt amount of debt or interest rate, right? I mean, think about it. I, I don't care what interest rate I pay as long as cash flow and my net worth increases. So, you know, you're kind of applying that to a rental property. Like you want to use as much leverage as you can while being responsible and using prudent leverage while you're still cash flowing on the property and your net worth is increasing better than what it was in the original arrangement how do you go about underwriting that and determining that? Like if somebody is, is kind of looking and starting to get into real estate, 
And obviously there's sort of a learning curve here as we talked about your first couple of properties, but like, how do you suggest people start to set themselves education wise from the beginning so that they can be teed up to get to a level like what you're on now? Um, not as long as it maybe took you. I mean, I'll take that question a little bit different direction. I mean, if you haven't started, get started. Okay. Don't worry about this other stuff we're talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, like here's what I did. Like I just went and did it and I learned while doing it. You know, the mm. 70, 20, 10 rules, 70% is doing it. 20% is working with mentors or some other people that help you. 10% is podcasts and books, you know, mm. stop emphasizing the 10% and go out and do the 70%. And this stuff is like, it's like watching grass grow, right? Like I bought my first property. I had to save up another couple of years to buy my next one. And then had to save up another couple of years a year to buy the third one. Like, don't worry, bro. You're going to have time to think about this stuff along this yeah. journey, right? Like, <laughs> it's a long car ride, you know, bring your book, bring your computer, chill out. You know, once you buy it, there's going to be time to learn and think about this. And, and it will, right? Like, the craziest thing is like when I kind of work with people and I show them, oh, you can buy these properties or the syndication. Like, that's when things really start to move in their head. And not only mm. that, but like now their family, their wife who maybe wanted to go spend their money at Nordstrom or whatever. Now it's like, Oh dang. Like if we save our 30 grand instead of blowing it on a vacation, now we'll create this thing that'll give us a couple hundred bucks that then I can go to Nordstrom every week. It's like, Oh, I got it. Like if I tighten the belt now, it makes so much more sense, but it still is watching grass grow and you're going to have a lot of time to think about this stuff. But I think that's when amazing things happen when you start to ponder these types of uh, these things when you're working with somebody who's new is, I mean, it sounds like what you're suggesting is that you get in, I mean, responsibly, of course, but you get into the market, you go find an investment and when you buy it, when you close, like it's not going to be 24 seven, your, your head's blowing off as if it's one or two or four units, even there's going to be a lot of downtime in between all those big decisions you have to make. And so there's plenty of time to have, your 70% and even your 20% of your education happening in between those large moments. I mean, especially like I advocate a lot of my, my a lot of my folks are higher paid professionals, right? Mm -hmm. They're busy. Their highest and best use is going back to their day job. So for those guys, I advocate, you know, if you're starting out under half a million dollars net worth, just go buy a turnkey rental, you know, and the nice things about turnkey rental, as the name implies, is that there's really not much to worry about, right? A lot of the CapEx items have been taken care of mm -hmm. and especially get a property manager to do mm -hmm. your hard work for you. This stuff is pretty passive if you make it. Absolutely. And it, it certainly can be. You can really build just like anything. You can really build real estate investing into almost any sort of business that you want to have it be. It could just be literally a check that shows up every month or it could be very hands-on where you're syndicating and you're raising money and you're, you're making it a very full-time endeavor. There's no question about that. Right. Right. I mean, it depends, you know, you're the, the three biggest things are time, money and knowledge. Obviously you're not going to know much when you get started, but based on if you have money, Mm -hmm. and you don't have that much time, well, you're more of a passive investor. So turnkey rentals are a good way to start. If you don't have very much money, well, number one, you should probably look at something else, right? Because real estate investing, you need money, bro. Mm -hmm. You got a money problem. <laughs> Make some money. There's a lot of 
podcasts out there and books that teach you how to make something out of nothing. I don't know how to do that, right? I know how to go to my day job, make a lot of money, and then save it. Yeah. And it's really funny because it's like I'm I'm sort of struck as we're sitting here talking about your style really it's and it, it's you've you've alluded to it before in the conversation but it's it's boring it's like watching grass grow like you're not pitching some really complex scenario here that you requires you to go invent something or even you know make smart investment like you're just saying like live frugally maximize what you're doing now to to save and make as much money as you can to then put that to work for you Right, right. Like I'm not advocating listening to 50 podcasts at 2x speed tonight, spinning around a baseball bat 50 times, then finding a distressed <laughs> property on Craigslist, calling them up, negotiating them on the kitchen room table, and then um, burying it six months later, you make 40% on your 20 grand. whoop de doo right? Like I'm talking about taking $30,000 to buy a $100,000 house that creates a nice little income stream, maybe a few hundred bucks every month, you know? Yeah, I love that. So where in your story does the simple passive cash flow come into the fold here? I mean, I've definitely kind of gone down the route of more, a little more active stuff um, mm-hmm. lately, but you know, like why do we all, we got to kind of decide like what, what are you doing this in the first place? Right. I mean, too many people say, yeah, I want passive cash flow. I want a thousand doors, but why? Right. Like what kind of lifestyle are you trying to build? Begin with the end in mind. Because the, the cool thing about this real estate stuff is, you know, if your net worth is a quarter million dollars or more and you make a decent salary, you're probably going to be financially free in the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of start building the legwork and the, and the practices to do something that's sustainable. You know, don't create another job for yourself, especially when you make a pretty good living, mm-hmm. 100K or more a year. So, you know, that was always like the thought process behind like simple passive cash flow. Right? It's got to be simple. It's got to be passive and um, produce income for you to live off of. For those of the listeners who don't know what that actually is, like what, what the group is that you've created, can you outline it and kind of talk about what it means to be more active as versus passive and, and kind of where, where it's all going? Yeah. I mean, initially when I kind of started to make this group online, it was, you know, hey, let's just do some real estate, right? But then I quickly realized that there was real estate for the masses and real estate for the high-paid, affluent, accredited investor types. I quickly realized that the local real was not the place to go to find other passive, high-net-worth investors and to find the deal flow that they were going after. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just different. Um, works for me. Yeah. But effectively, you created like an online group that would get together and talk about this kind of passive cash flow investing. Is that right, the right. original where it was born from? At least it would be the right people. And I think what frustrated me about like all this real estate investing is people say, oh, it's so confusing. Like, why is it so confusing? You buy a house and then you put somebody in it, right? It's simple, right? Yeah. But like the problem is like what makes it so confusing is that like there's all these strategies for people that don't have money. You know, you've got all these like things. It's like football. If you got the best offensive line, you just shove it down in the middle and you just run it every single time. But if your team sucks, oh, Hans, we're trying, we got to figure out all these kinds of offenses, right? Like you and I went to UW when they weren't pretty, weren't good. They had all these tricks, yep. right? 
Yep, yep. It gets super active. It gets super complicated. And what really frustrated me is like, I wish if there's anything people do is don't invest in the 401k in the stock market. Do anything else. And what frustrates me is like when people get confused or they, something's complicated, they don't do it. Right? They get intimidated and they go back to the 401k and the stock market where we know what's going to happen if they do that. You're just going to go work at your job for the next 40, 50 years. That's exactly what they want. It's great to have these advanced strategies, but you know, I, I would rather like people follow the simple stuff and then get the results that they want. Yeah. That's really well said. So you found this community or you founded this community and started to just basically talk in a very simple way about how to invest in real estate and dumb it down so that people would be able to understand it because you're right. It is sort of this foreign thing, even though almost all of us have either rented several places or bought several places or a combination and been a tenant and an owner at some point for whatever reason, when we turn it into an investment, we get really confused and, and you're right, try and complicate it in some pretty bizarre ways. Right. I mean, a lot of the, the noise, if you call it out there is surrounding, like, how do you buy properties without any money? Yep. I mean, my, my thought process is don't, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, you know, like lease options, tax liens, like it's all confusing, right? And if you yeah. have money, it's all noise to you. Like for a lot of like my accredited investors, like all this, like, you know, after $150,000, this phases out, like, oh, that's noise to them. They make 300 grand a year. All these things don't apply. And it Mm -hmm. gets super easy at that point. Yeah. You know, what do I do? Like, you know, for very high net worth investors, you got all these LLCs, series LLCs, things, and I'm giving people legal advice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you just do like a very expensive, um, international trust or trust mm-hmm. system it, it's just so much easier it's kind of like flying above the cloud level yeah so it's kind of amazing i love the way that you're talking about this because you're right everyone wants to complicate real estate investing and just sort of making money in general but you've over the course of the last 20 or 25 minutes here just laid out a really simple path and simple formula which is like you save 30 grand, find a property that cash flows a few hundred dollars a month, and then repeat that a handful of times over a course of three, five, seven years, and then use the leverage that you've created and the value that you've created in those spaces to, you know, at some point either leverage into maybe a bigger deal or a syndicator like you, or maybe step up your knowledge base and into some kind of a bigger deal. Right, right. And, and to add, you know, even more practical advice to that, take that the experience, that track record, and go network with other high net worth passive investors. Now horse trade referrals. Right? And, and I think that's the hardest thing. The person listening right now, right? I got you guys. You guys are smart guys from one of the best colleges in the nation, University of Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go get a house, right? Like, so how the heck do I do that, right? Yeah. Well, it's off referrals, right? You take somebody to lunch or you, you know, like buy them a coffee you know, one of these guys who have nothing better to do and they don't have anything better to do. When you have passive income, you don't have nothing to do. You just want to help people, I guess, you know, yeah, (laughs) feel good about yourself for helping, but you know, you get a referral and, you know, use that referral and go off of that. You know, you don't have to recreate the wheel. 
lot of my investors are engineers. They'll get all these data. I don't know where they get it from, but they rank all these these cities by all these like statistics, and they create some kind of like algorithm where they rank them and like, all right, par ranking, boom. I'm like, what are you doing? Go out and talk to talk to other people who are investing in there. You know, use their people. What are you doing at your computer with all this stuff? And one of the things that is so simple, but yet so profound that you just alluded to is that, you know, real estate at the end of the day is a people business. You know, we have assets that, you know, are houses or apartment buildings or office buildings or whatever, but yet nothing happens unless there's people. There has to be tenants, there has to be an owner, there has to be, you know, sometimes there's agents, there's, you know, attorneys, there's people who kind of help make the world go around and building the relationships, as you've put it, really shortcuts your your research and your process. Right. In a way, it's kind of the great equalizer because I have a lot of investors that are like, I don't know what they call them, like artificial intelligence, machine learning type of engineer guys. And it's scary how, how smart they are. I just feel like they're going to like hack my website and just like bring me down and like (laughs) take all my money on my bank account. But like these, you know, these guys, they lack the ability to, or they just, they feel like their normal process, which is just jamming the keyboard all day long is going to get them places with this stuff. But it's not like you're buying a property on a block, right? Like you can buy a property on the wrong side of the block. You need the bright people to be able to represent you, you know, with fiduciary responsibility and, and lead you right the right way. And the only way that you're going to find those people are to build a relationship with other people who know those people. Really well said. Um, and I love the simplicity of the, the way you're talking and, and what it is that you're, you're suggesting here. Cause you're right. The, the people skills, it's like we've lost an ability to sort of connect and communicate with one another, this, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast in the first place is to connect and communicate with more people. But, you know, looking for ways to add value to people, to build relationships with people is shocking, but it will get you so far in this business, whether you're trying to be an agent or an investor or anything in between it's like the return on the investment relative to the time in those relationships is just so invaluable. I I can't speak highly enough of that strategy just in general. Right. Like, I mean, just for example, like Hans, like what do you need help in now? How can somebody help you? The main thing that I'm personally looking at in my business is what you talked about relationships, but not just any relationships, strategic ones with with people who know lots of other either investors or people who might be looking to buy real estate. So I'm specifically targeting CPAs, you know, estate planning attorneys, people like that who have sort of a web of those types of relationships and who want to build, you know, mutually beneficial relationships with, with me or with, you know, people in my network, depending on the situation. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, like, there you go, right there, right? Like, if you know those type of people, you ask Hans if you want a, a connection. You don't just blindly email them because that's awkward. And yeah, that's, can that does sometimes get weird. be worse than uh, you actually <laughs> doing it. So please don't do that. But say, like, hey, Hans, like, I, here's my CPA. Um, would you like a referral to him? He might help be able to help you out. Right. And then you do that a few times. And, and I think the key that like what's helped me is like, I've done that a little bit 
And you just keep doing that. And then the right people, they'll rise to the top. And what you're talking about is even broadly speaking, just adding value to other people. Like if you don't have the money to invest in real estate and you don't necessarily have the knowledge, but you have some time and maybe you have some connections, like figuring out ways to add value to the people you respect or the people who you'd like to learn from, whether it's just something as simple as an introduction or it's like, hey, I came across this deal somehow you know, is this something that you could do? And can I shadow you on it? Like anything in between all of that is, you know, finding ways to add value to the people who you want to get around. You know, this podcast is one of the ways that I try and add value to people that I want to get around. But, you know, it can just be really, really simple. And you are then sort of in the middle of that world all of a sudden by having added some value to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the dummy caveat is like, just don't do things on a quid pro quo basis. And um, thank you. It, it's super obvious. We all know. Yeah. Give without the expectation of receipt. Cause it, it does come back to you, but sometimes it, it, it almost always comes back to you in a way that you weren't expecting and it never comes back when you were expecting it. And then, yeah, you're right. If, if you're like, Hey, I'll scratch your back. If you scratch mine later, like, people sense that and that turns them off very quickly because you know no one wants to owe anybody anything yeah yeah you're just that awkward guy with a lot of time and no money (laughs) (laughs) nothing's worse than that (laughs) yeah man oh we were all there one time that's why we We, laugh (laughs) we've all we've all done silly stupid things that we wish we wouldn't have done when we were starting out absolutely but to your point, like you got to get out there and do something. And like one, one misstep, it's not like you can't recover from like those little errors if you recognize them and you, and you learn from them and you do better. Even if it's something simple like a introduction that gets botched, like, okay, so what, you, you made one bad introduction. Does that mean you shouldn't introduce people ever again? Like, no, yeah. it yeah. just means you should do it better <laughs> the next time. Yeah, maybe you suck at it, man. But those are the super unself-aware people that are just like, Oh yeah, Hans, that guy's a jerk, right? Like, yeah, you know, like, no man, yeah. you like sent him an e- you sent him a URL for a CPA list that anybody could have Googled, and yep. you asked them in a really awkward way, and you're still awkward, and nobody's your friend to tell you the difference, or you don't have a paid mentor yep. to tell you what's up, and you keep making the same mistakes over and over again. That's why you're still broken alone. <laughs> you got to do something different to get a different yeah. result. Maybe it's time for some feedback, you know, from somebody who is willing to give you real feedback. Yeah. You have to be willing to hear it and to some degree ask for it because those moments can get real. Like if you're, if you're putting the effort in and you're trying, you're not getting the results. You're right. Like maybe, maybe you need to be the person that does something differently in order to, to get a different result. Right. Right. And Elena, appreciate your time today. I want to respect the rest of your day. So I'm going to transition us to the final segment of the show called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Uh, I guess I'm ready. All right. First question. What book have you gifted most often? I don't like books. I say people should stop reading them. Just Mm -hmm. go out and do it or analyze deals. Excellent. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Uh, I don't fanboy anybody. I don't, 
I don't know. I don't. I can't think of anybody. <laughs> Maybe Kobe. Man, I, I don't know. I just. I don't know. All this this latest stuff you hear about him, kind of like the. Yeah. Go. I don't know. I would rather pay some money for someone to tell me what they really think, as opposed to somebody mm. to just casually talk about nothing for thirty minutes and then they never have to see me again. Interesting. So you'd you'd want to invest in a in a personal conversation with somebody. Yeah. You know, the answer to this one you may have already said, but what's one thing you think that most people would disagree with you on? Well, one big thing is like buying a primary residence to live in, especially if you live in a high price area where the rent to value ratios don't make sense. So I think it's one of the biggest financial mistakes young people make these days. And um, they should buy assets that produce money as opposed to just putting it in the big house and then throwing this big um, down payment down and and selling them with this monthly debt and losing all the cash flow. I think that's a big thing. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with you on that. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Um, I wake up, I walk across the hallway, I turn on the computer, check email, and I drink my coffee. I don't have time to read my journal. I don't have time to recite my incantations. I live in Hawaii. <laughs> By the time I wake up, it's like noon for you guys. I got to catch up and get, get the fires taken care of. Right on. That's awesome. I love that. Maybe it's a blessing and a curse of living in Hawaii. Yeah. I don't know. I just like, you know, there's all this same stuff you hear, right? On podcasts and, mm-hmm. you know, journal on your top three things you should do every morning, right? To keep on your goals. But like, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, the stuff I do is like, I'm just chaotic as anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. There's not really like any, any system or any kind of like nighttime ritual, morning rituals, right? Whatever works whatever you can get by with the very least. I mean, yeah. I stopped doing that. I couldn't stand doing that. 30 minute journal thing or the five minute journal thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you only have two hours a day at the end of the day, to, after you get done with all the obligations, you know, that's a heck of a lot of productivity time you're wasting. Yeah. Well said, man. Well, that's why I asked the question is because I love the perspective that, that everyone brings to that question. Cause not everyone says, you know, incantations and journals and green drinks and all that stuff. Cause yeah. it works make, for some. And make your bed everyone. every morning, right? Get every morning. So you can- it is. It is nice to get into a made bed at the end of the day. It is. Say, it is. I but I don't do that every day. But I try yeah. to do it most days. <laughs> but if you bust your butt, those thirty minutes can uh, lead to a lot of money, and money solves a lot of problems, such as a maid. <laughs> well said, man. Well, hey, I appreciate your time. How can the audience connect with you online? Um, they can check out my podcast at Simple Passive Cash Flow website simplepassivecashflow.com yeah on the interwebs right on well we will link in the show notes to simplepassivecashflow.com and your podcast as well lane man appreciate you being on the show today uh love love the advice love the thoughts that you've brought you've got clearly a great system and a great way of doing things that i think a lot of the people on the show will resonate with so thank you for being on and uh, appreciate your time all right appreciate it man And that does it for today's show, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you learned something from Lane. Sometimes simpler is better. And I think he's a great example of that. If you want to connect with him, simplepassivecashflow.com. His podcast is available there by the same name. 
And I know he'd love to hear from you and connect with you personally, as would I. So if you're down in the show notes, hit my Calendly link up, grab a time, let's have a chat. Really look forward to connecting with you guys because as we talked about in this episode, that's the main reason why I started is connect with people like him and, and folks like yourselves who are listening. If you're also getting value out of this or any of the other episodes I put out, head over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. It really helps the show grow and uh, gives me some critical feedback on how to keep getting better. Uh, So without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.